Hello, I'm Tristan Abbey, editor-at-large of the Aaliyah Review of Books. This is the second episode of the Aaliyah Review podcast. Last month, we were joined by Professor Tony Z from the University of California, Santa Barbara, to discuss his recent book, Fly-By-Night Physics, How Physicists Use the Backs of Envelopes, published in 2020 by Princeton University Press. Today, our guest is Paul Sen, author of the terrific new book, Einstein's Fridge, How the Difference Between Hot and Cold Explains the Universe, published in 2021 by Scribner, an imprint of Simon & Schuster. Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me. Let's start with the title. What is Einstein's Fridge? Well, the book is the story of the science of thermodynamics. And thermodynamics, in my opinion, and one of the reasons I wanted to write the book, is a sort of a Cinderella of physics. You know, I sort of felt it's an incredibly important building block of our scientific view of the universe. But it somehow never get quite gets the, um, the attention that quantum theory and general relativity and the sort of more glamorous aspects of physics seem to get, in the popular world anyway. And so when I, when I wanted to write the book, I came across this extraordinary story that in the 1920s, Einstein worked really quite hard on designing a safer fridge refrigerator when he was still living in Berlin. And that, coupled with the fact that Einstein himself was very influenced by thermodynamics, a lot of his, a lot of his ideas spring from the sort of thermodynamic revolution that took place in the decades just before he was working. And so those two things made me think, well, you know, the fact that Einstein was actually a big fan of thermodynamics and also that he built or he, he designed, worked on the designs of a very thermodynamic device, a refrigerator, which is probably the most sort of thermodynamic device you can have. So those two things kind of coalesced in my head. So I thought that it would be a sort of fun title to have as a, for a book about a subject that doesn't get much popular attention. Now that I think about it, the books that do talk about thermodynamics often use refrigeration as kind of the illustration of of the term. And from an etymology perspective, if you break it up into thermodynamics, I think you're basically talking about the movement of heat. And also a fridge is a very sort of, it runs, it sort of tries to do something that nature doesn't really like, which is to move heat from a the wrong way, if you like, from a cold place out to a warmer place. The natural flow of heat when left to its own devices is always the other way, from hot to cold. And so trying to get a device that does the opposite, well, you know, was, was a hell of a challenge. And as I say in the book, you know, we humans invented fire thousands of years ago, but making ice was actually quite recent. You know, can reliably having a piece of machinery that could make ice was really a 19th century device. It really shows this kind of, this difference between how natural it is for heat to flow outwards, but how unnatural, strangely, it is for it to go the other way. One of the great things about the book is its scope. I know it's in the title, How Hot and Cold Explain the Universe, but still, you talk about black holes, you talk about computing. I'm curious, when you started to write the book, when you first had the idea for it, did you imagine it would have this enormous breadth, or did it just kind of happen accidentally as you started to write it? Well, I no, one, of the, actually, one of the reasons I, I felt that I, there would be a book, of, there was enough material, if you like, for, to write a book about it was because I sensed through my other work as a television producer, when I, 
a sense there was this incredibly rich seam of scientific material which connected many different aspects of science which you don't normally think are connected and it you know when i was actually making a television documentary for the bbc with uh, about about energy actually it was the sort of this was called the story of energy and when i was doing that i sort of did you know we, you do quite a bit of research for a tv show a lot of which never ends up in the tv show television you know it doesn't only can hold a fairly limited amount of content compared to a book. But, but when I was doing the research for that, I thought, wow, there's so much to say here. And it struck me then that thermodynamics, really from its discovery in the 19th century, where it was thought to only, originally people really only thought it applied to steam engines and, and devices that turned heat into mechanical work. But it, it sort of slowly seeped outwards from, from that very specific kind of origin. And it began to you know, help people understand biological systems. It helped people understand the telecommunications networks. And you know, in the, in the late, later part of the 20th century and into the 21st century, it's become a very important aspect of the internet revolution. Um, and I think that this, this realization that across the sciences that the understanding of energy and entropy is a truly universal problem and a truly universal aspect of the cosmos we inhabit. That's what attracted me to the subject and made me feel there was a kind of exciting story to tell. You know, so it didn't feel, to me, it never felt forced, you know, writing about Claude Shannon and the, the birth of the information age. You know, it was very sort of natural to sort of show how that leads us to a modern world where one of the big challenges is how do we get the heat out of the huge server farms that run the internet? Um, and so I think that's just an aspect of the modern world we don't often think about, you know, that there is an energy cost to the information. We, you and I talking over Zoom involves server farms and infrastructure, which has a cost in energy and has, you know, entropic you know, side effects as well. So... Now, I, to me, that was kind of what I, why I wanted to write the book, to sort of get across the universal nature of thermodynamics. Entropic side effects. I think you'll have to copyright that term. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you mentioned your work on documentary. It sounds like your work in television, making these documentaries helped prepare you to write the book. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the great privileges of, of you know, my working as a film television producer is I've been able to make films about science, which I find utterly fascinating. And when, you make, when you're a sort of TV producer, you sort of get to speak to some of the leading thinkers in the scientific community. They're very generous with their time. They, you know, they show you stuff, they tell you stories about what inspires them, where their ideas come from. And so that always made me feel that when you sort of try and convey science to the popular audience, I mean, beyond the textbook kind of science, but when you're trying to sort of engage a wider audience, you know, trying to do it through the, the stories of the people who discover science is I find that fascinating. And I think that's a very, you know, engaging way of bringing a wider audience to scientific discoveries. And I think I learned that from the films I made. You know, I learned that when we were making films, you know, when we, you know, when we I made a film about, energy and we talked about people like Sadi Kano who was sort of the kind of the person who he didn't coin the word entropy but he was very important to 
the discovery of entropy. And he had an extraordinary story. You know, he grew up in the midst of the French Revolution. He died tragically young of a you know, cholera epidemic that swept through France. You know, his work was never appreciated in his own lifetime. So I thought this is just, it's, you know, so as well as the science being incredibly important, it was an incredible human story at the heart of it, which I wanted to get across. And the more research I did, you know, the people who followed on from Carlo, all in their different ways, have very powerful human stories, which is just fascinating to hear about. One of my favorite questions to ask authors is who else they read. Do you have any favorite books or novelists you can share with us? If you're first of all looking at fiction, although I think it sort of doesn't get enough, you know, in literary circles, it's a, a genre of fiction that doesn't get enough attention, I think. But I've always loved is science fiction. So I grew up, you know, reading the works of Isaac Asimov and Philip K. Dick. And, you know, later on, when Douglas Adams started writing his amazing Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, I just loved those books, you know, and I just loved the way writers like that found science to be an extraordinary wellspring for the imagination. You know, they could, to them, science was a way of, you know, roaming the universe and imagining all sorts of things. And I sort of feel that, you know, science fiction doesn't quite have the kudos that, you know, other forms of literature do, which I think is a little unfair because I love it, you know, and I, you know, I still, you know, if you, if you look at, you know, going back to earlier science fiction like H.G. Wells and Jules Verne, right, authors like that, you know, I used to, you know, I hoovered up those books when I was growing up. I just loved to read about them. I just found them incredibly sort of, inspiring the way they would take you on these extraordinary journeys of the imagination. And I always felt that when I then made documentaries about science, there was always this extraordinary imaginative quality to science, which I think people don't appreciate, actually. You know, my favourite book in the sort of science genre is Richard Rhodes's The Making of the Atomic Bomb, which is a truly amazing book. And it really taught me that, you know, the key to, uh, you, you know, research, research, research. You've got to, you know, as an author, it's, if you're writing nonfiction, find stuff out that is really interesting. Do your research. You know, find out, find out stories and facts that the general public don't know about so that you're kind of bringing this new information to them. And I just thought that was an incredibly powerful book and it was so detailed and so well-researched and yet completely compelling. Well, that brings us right back to thermodynamics, because energy is the capacity to do the work, just like Richard Rhodes did with the making of the atomic bomb. Final question for you. Can we expect more books from you in the future? Well, I hope so. I have, I, I, it's a bit early for me to talk about the subject matter yet, but there's a couple of ideas, sort of embryonic ideas that I'm sort of shaking around inside my skull, if you like. But yes, absolutely. I hope very much that there'll be another, yeah, my, my immediate goal would be another nonfiction book, yeah, in this, about science. So it would be another book that hopefully brings a sort of a, a kind of a, an area of science that doesn't get much appreciation to a wider audience. I mean, what I really feel strongly about is that it's for people who have some scientific understanding, it's, it's a really important thing to try and you know, tell the wider community about how much extraordinary knowledge and inspiration can be found in science and in the scientists who do the work. Well, unfortunately, we've come to the end of our interview, but I, I hope you've had a fraction of the amount of fun that I've had. 
No, I've, I've enjoyed it a great deal. Thank you. This interview was conducted on May 27, 2021. I'm Tristan Abbey with the Aleo Review of Books. Join us online at www.aleoreview.com. That's www.aleoreview.com.